Welcome to podcast episode number one of Crave the Book. And today we're going to be discussing chapters zero through three of Tracy Wolf's Crave series. Today, Amber and I discussed a lot of really interesting plot points, little things that we didn't notice upon our first uh, run through of the series. I think that we covered quite a bit in the first half that is safe and spoiler free if you're picking up the series for the very first time. But then about at the halfway point, we start getting into some of the things that tie back into later books, such as Crush and Covet. So make sure that you listen for that spoiler alert if you are new here. That way you can kind of stop before we divulge any secrets of this book series and enjoy guys and we hope that you uh that you'll subscribe to the podcast and listen to future episodes as well but for now let's jump in all right guys this is episode one of crave the book because we're craving the crave series (laughs) um we've spent a lot of time trying to think of that name didn't we amber (laughs) We did. We did. (laughs) We were like, okay, is this cringy or is this a great title? So guys, uh, welcome, welcome. This is episode one where we're going to be discussing chapters zero through three. And Crave is the first series that I've ever read that has a a chapter zero. Um, So I thought that that was really interesting. So we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the things that happen in those chapters. Um, and Amber, she's got a little memo to our new listeners. Obviously, you're all new, unless you're watching this way after it was recorded. <laughs> but Amber, want to lead us into our memo? So we're going to spend the first part, half of the podcast talking about chapter zero to three, just to kind of give some sort of structure to our series of podcasts. Uh, but then after that, we will actually give you a spoiler alert uh, so that section, the second section of the podcast will be for anybody who has read all three of the series or the whole book, like for the first book, the second book, whatever. If you wanted to have that just social conversation with somebody who has already read the books, our sort of theories, our, our ideas of how the series is going to progress, that is what we're going to be discussing in the second half. Yes, because we want to make sure that if you guys want to do like a read along where you you're inspired to read because of the podcast, we're not spoiling the series because it does start out a little bit slow. Uh, To be perfectly honest, the first book is my least favorite. I think Amber (laughs) agrees. Um, Yes. But but we want to make sure that if you're reading the series along with us as we're discussing, that we're not spoiling anything for you. So we'll make sure to try to not give any spoilers until we give that notification that anybody who hasn't read the full series needs to go ahead and retreat and wait until next week's episode. But uh, before we get into that, since this is our very first episode, let's go ahead and get some introductions out of the way because it's very obvious that Amber and I have completely different accents. So, <laughs> Amber, do you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, so my name is Amber. I am from Hampshire in the United Kingdom, uh, a little city just about 20 minutes away from Stonehenge uh, and about an hour away from London. Um, I'm 28 years old. Uh, I run my own business and Starla and I met through me learning a bit more about Etsy 
um, because I draw people's pets and I make brand merchandise for different dog breeds and I needed a little help with my Etsy shop. And then Starla came along and we've been friends ever since. Uh, we've been best friends and we've never met in the four, <laughs> the four years we've known each other. We've never seen each other in the flesh. Um, so we, we use our time instead of meeting up like normal people. We Marco Polo each other, um, which is a great app if you haven't had it already. Uh, we read books together now, apparently. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like we, we, we have great, great time just via the like the digital age it is great that we can have friendships that are three thousand miles apart <laughs> yeah and we're and we're going to get to meet so hopefully we have some episodes of the podcast for you guys where we're actually sitting next to each other because she will be coming to see me in uh november but my name is Starla. I am an Etsy coach. I'm sure that there will be a couple of my YouTube subscribers that mosey over and watch the podcast out of morbid curiosity for what Amber and I do <laughs> in our free time. <laughs> so apologies to all of you. But uh, I am an Etsy coach. I run several businesses. I am a serial reader, especially after the the big Twilight Renaissance. Um, I got hardcore back into Twilight and then I was just hungry for anything that gave me those same feelings. And that's when I picked up the Crave series. Um, I found it just sitting in the bookstore and like many of you, it kind of had that similar branding to Twilight. So I immediately picked it up and I was like, oh, what is this? Is this a Twilight knockoff? And then I kind of, you know, dove into it a bit and realized that I feel like it's more akin to Harry Potter, where you have that little bit of romance, especially in the first book. But I almost feel like it was written in a way where you think that that's what the story is going to be about. And then you get into it and it ends up being just so much more. So I guess that wasn't really a great introduction as to me. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was more me talking about the books. But uh, I don't really do a whole lot in my free time because Amber and I are both, we like to call ourselves business masochists where everything that we yeah. do it leads back to business. So we decided this is us doing something non-businessy. So hopefully it ends up being fun and you guys enjoy listening to us rant about this series and maybe some other books. Um, but that's introductions, guys. Let's go ahead and dive into some topics. We want to talk about chapters zero through three of the book because we are rereading the series. Um, I think that I picked up the books because, like I said, it was a it was very much Twilight esque, um, and then I read the whole series and I immediately messaged Amber. I was at the end of Covet, and I won't give anything away, but you guys know when you get like towards the end of Covet and things start getting real, real fast. <laughs> and I messaged Amber and I'm like, this book series is stressing me out so <laughs> bad. You have to read it. And she, she was like, fine, I'll read it. And then she read the first book. And Amber, what, what was the, what was the first book like for you? Because I know that you weren't, you weren't hooked when you read the first book. It, it took you a little while. It, it did. And I, and I think that if I was 14, 15 years old again, I would have loved it. Mm -hmm. I would have, it would have been my favorite book. I think being the age that we are, because we're both the same age, 
uh, reading the first book of Crave, it, it does come across as a, as a very, very teenage fiction book. Um, Absolutely. So it was, it was quite hard to get through, but my love of books means that I can never leave a book not finished. And you were raving so much about the second and the third book that I was, I was just thinking it was kind of like, you know, the pilot episodes for TV <laughs> shows where you're just going to go, okay, there's an introduction to the characters, there's an introduction to the world um, and the concept behind like the law of the world. And um, I did, I, I found myself sort of understanding the characters, but wanting more growth from them. And we, def we definitely got that through crush and court I, I think um so it wasn't my favorite book but now going back through it i'm finding that because i've already read the series there are nuances and there is foreshadowing and there are things like that that is so much more enjoyable to read back through the second time yeah it's it's uh, it's very re-readable so if you're new to the series um and you're in that same boat where you know, you're a little bit older, maybe you've got that life experience. I think that when you're a little bit older, and you start seeing how Jackson is acting, especially in the chapters that we read chapters zero through three, where he's just kind of doing that broody, angsty, you know, angsty, mean for no reason. And I mean, he has a reason, but there's really it doesn't it doesn't matter how how much you're trying to protect a girl. You, there's no reason to be that mean that that's how Edward Cullen was. And I think that, you know, we've we've got it in our heads when we're young that that is acceptable behavior that is attractive. The guy who's who's very mean, but then he starts to like you, but then he's still mean to everybody other <laughs> than you. And it's and I mean, that's a trope, right? And it's fun and it's addicting. And I love reading books like that. That That is my favorite character trope. I was all for it in Fifty Shades. I was all for it in Twilight. I was all for it in these books. But when you're a little bit older, I think that you realize that that is not a good type of relationship. If it's your guilty pleasure, then that's great. Um, but I think that that's why it was really hard for me to read where at first where I was like, man, y'all just need to communicate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was, there was even a bit in, in chapter three where she touches his face and you're like, who does that? Who does that with a stranger? And I was like, I don't understand. This is so strange. Um, but it is, it is all rereading it again makes so much more sense. Right. Because reading it the first time, it is strange because there's no reason behind it. Um, and we, no. we won't go into the, the spoilers until the last half, but it, it seems like all of the weird things that happen, there is a reason, but it's a slow burn. Uh, Tracy yes. did a really good job of giving you a lot of clues and a lot of hints. And some of the hints are very obvious. For example, um, when they're when Macy and Grace are first on the snowmobile on their way to Catmere Academy, when Amber and I were doing our reread and taking our notes, um, Amber, do you have your your notes that you took about the there was the there's gargoyles, actual gargoyles on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're like, well, at least there's not a fire breathing dragon at the gates and, and things like that. It was. It was great foreshadowing. It was very throwaway foreshadowing, though. So yeah. it was almost deliberately giving the reader some form of clue 
of what to expect from the book. So you immediately knew that there was going to be some magic, that, that it wasn't going to be a book just about some girl whose parents are dead. It exactly. was, yeah, it, it already gave you those feelings of like mysterious, magical, like there's a, there's a Hogwarts type school that she's already introducing. It's this magical castle. Um, yeah, I, I, I got those feelings of magic straight away, even though you hadn't really told me too much about the book before I started. Um, it, it did, it made me, it made me think, oh, there's, there's more to this than just the teenage romance yeah and and you know if this book was just about the romance i don't think i would have been able to stick with it that long because i mean i love i love me a good trashy romance don't get me wrong <laughs> um but you know i i already i've had that from so many other things and my expectations with this series i didn't have any uh, I started it with the audiobook, and I feel like I really cheated myself out of my first read by doing the audiobook because um, I wasn't able to give voice to my the characters the way that I would have liked to. And rereading it the second time, it's coming off a lot less. Um, it's coming off a lot less mean, and I think it's just because the the person who recorded the audiobook she made Jackson a lot. I don't know, a lot more bitter than I think that Tracy intended him to be and maybe that's just how I took it but yeah uh, overall I think that if this would have just been a Grace and Jackson love story through and through I, I wouldn't have been as compelled similar to if Twilight was just Bella and Edward and you didn't have the love triangle there wouldn't be as as many people just absolutely crazy about it no and and to be honest love triangles have always irritated me and I think that I think that there's some form of envy and jealousy stemming from that like I've never had two men fight over me what, what am I doing wrong <laughs> and, uh, and, and it, it does carry on oh I was gonna say how do you feel about that for I mean being a teenager I'm sure that we were both teens when we read uh when we read Twilight how do you how do you think that shaped like your your expectations if if it did at all as a teenager, did you feel like you were entitled to have your Edward or Jacob? Because I think that that's maybe like where teens are now. Um, I think that I was expecting true love to occur very, very early. Um, and so, and also that I would know who they were immediately. Um, that it, they would just come out like a knight in shining armor. <laughs> and you and touch their face. Who was. Yeah. <laughs> I know who immediately they are and, and things like that. And to, to be honest, when I did meet my husband, I, I was that like bashful little girl who had to message her friend and go like, who was that? Who was that? There's a guy in a beard downstairs. Who is it? Um, but before that, all of the, the boys and the men that I had dated, they, if I look back now, we had nothing in common. We didn't really have a reason to continue our relationship and I think that that was me trying to force that love storyline that I was like well I can't fall in love with somebody who I'm not supposed to be with for the rest of my life when actually you look back and you go oh wow <laughs> I could imagine me living with them now it would be a really boring life yeah 
And I think that a lot of a lot of our listeners are going to hear us talk about Jackson because I know that a lot of you guys like Jackson. Uh, I did mm-hmm. a poll today. I'll be revealing some of the results from that uh, Jackson versus Hudson debate. But I think that most of our listeners most of our listeners side with Hudson, but I, I do feel like those who still are in love with Jackson, they're very passionately in love with Jackson. And I just want to be clear that we, when we dog on Jackson, it's not because we think he's a bad character or a bad person. I think that Jackson is, he's very immature because he is younger than Hudson and you can feel it. You can see it. And, you know, it's, it's very typical behavior for a young, you know, teenage boy. It's not abnormal. It's just not healthy. So if you hear us talking badly about Jackson, it's not that we don't like him. It's that you can definitely read the accuracy in which his age is depicted in the choices that he makes and the way he chooses to, to carry himself. Um, I, I like to say that Jackson is like your cute teenage, you know, little high school boyfriend or as Hudson Hudson is daddy like Hudson is he's (laughs) he's husband material and Jackson is like you know that nice fond memory that you had (laughs) Jackson Jackson makes Grace understand and grow and realize what she wants in a partner and what she doesn't want he's not a partner he's not a partner Mm mm-hmm he always looks at her as a vulnerable human who has to be looked after. And that's not what you want to be when you're an adult. You don't, you don't want someone to look at you the same way as you would look at as a child. Um, you want to be respected and revered in a way that you're so capable that I want to look after you, but I don't have to. Exactly. Giving you the choice. I think that that's that's something that a lot of books do is they take away the choice of the female character and it makes you feel like that's how it should be. Uh, Mm -hmm. When in reality, that's not what you want. It's fun for a little while, like as a, you know, when you're new in a relationship and it's it's really nice to have someone treat you like that until it's not anymore. (laughs) So, yeah. um, Yeah. So a couple little things that we wanted to touch on. I know we're kind of, we said that we would stay out of the spoiler zone and I guess we're kind of dipping into a little bit with. I don't think that anybody within the the Crave series can stay away from the fact that everybody has already mentioned Hudson as such right? a big character. <laughs> like, I feel sorry for anybody who has just been spoiled that, but. Even you do. Yeah, even I knew. And I think that it was too, it was too foreshadowed within the book as well um and i was like there can't be a four parts without some form of love triangle and i genuinely i thought that it was with another character which we will discover in chapter four and if you know who it is you'll know who it is um but there was this whole time that i was thinking that there can't possibly be four five well five books essentially five books without some love triangle (laughs) oh yeah no way not when it comes to vampires I, I also think that there's there's some part of me that knows that I probably guess too much just from the amount of books I have read that there's always going to be some familiarity, some similarities between 
novels because everybody is inspired by other stories. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that sometimes I, I spoil my own pleasure in reading <laughs> because I guess too quickly. Yeah, this one did. I, I did a lot of that with the series, but then there were a lot of curveballs that it threw at me out of nowhere that I didn't anticipate. And I really, oh yeah, I really like <laughs> <Same>. that. <laughs> it's like same. You got me. Oh, you you fooled me, which doesn't happen very often. So when an author is able to do that, especially in YA, I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm always really happy. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about when Grace first arrives to Catmere Academy because one thing that I noticed especially on my reread of the series is that chapters zero through three Grace has not had a single happy moment or happy thought she has not had any happiness there is no joy chapter zero through three which is really understandable right because her parents just died she is from california i used to live in california and i can say it's very very hot very nice um you don't have winter in her area of california and she's being shipped off to alaska to live with some family that she literally hasn't seen in years she she has not seen macy in i can't remember how many years she said um but well, she, she she was a little like in yeah the the fact that she still has that favorite color in her head and she's like I haven't liked that in years since I was small so she must have it been a while yeah and and she's she's lost not just not just her parents and her home and and her friends uh, but she also talks about things like having to leave her drum set and thinking about uh, another family moving into her old house and living where she lived. And those are things I I think about that. I think about like my old houses um, and where I grew up and I think about other families. Oh, I bet they're, I bet they're trashing it. I bet they repainted (laughs) the wall that I painted with my mom, you know? So I feel like those are some really raw emotions and we don't get any of that happiness um from grace because she's so shut down and i feel like this is a really good example of grace's low where normally when you read a book it starts with the character not being at their lowest but not being at their highest and then they hit their low later in the story with Mm -hmm. this book feel like grace starts at her lowest yeah and and is able to grow i mean from a brit's point of view as well i think that looking at where she traveled from to where she traveled to i had absolutely no concept of the magnitude of that journey um i mean i think the furthest i've ever traveled within my own country the furthest i've ever traveled is probably about five hours from so i i live near stonehenge near salisbury and I've traveled to Newcastle, which is about five hours. That is the longest journey I have ever done in my own country. And then looking at the journey that she has to make because she can't go anywhere else would take 51 hours. And that just to me is insane. Um, and then looking at where Healy is on a map as well, she's going from San Diego, which I'm imagining is very built up. I mean, you would probably be able to confirm that it's, it's got a lot of conveniences. Oh yeah, it's got it's got everything, and then she's moving to this place in the middle of nowhere where it's so remote and isolated that you you don't have any of your normal comforts. 
and you're cold. I mean, <laughs> like I really felt, I felt sorry for her. I was like thinking like, oh my goodness, like you're moving from everything that you've ever known, but also everything that you would find easy. And then she's moving to somewhere in the middle of nowhere where she, she doesn't, she doesn't know enough about the, uh, like the temperature to even know that her eyes don't freeze. Like she's that innocent and that ignorant of what it's like to live there that she doesn't know why she's being given a scarf and a helmet and, and think, and what to expect. Yeah. She's, she's, she's starting new in a completely different environment. And I think that that's a great like starting location for also discovering a whole new world within like the magic and the arcane. Um, so I, I think that it was quite fun to read about the complete sort of like 180 degree flip of everything that she's ever known. And then suddenly she's being thrown in at the deep end to somebody completely different. I mean, at least in Forks, for for Bella, it was literally, oh, it was just a little bit rainy. <laughs> right. And the thing about about Bella is she was able to, she could go to school, she could go home, she could go, you know, w out with Jessica, she could, there were things that she could do. But when we're talking about Catmere Academy, if you walk outside for too long, you freeze to death. You know, yes. the, you're stuck yes. in your school. Can you imagine just being stuck in your school to the point where, you don't really go outside very much because it's so cold. And when you do, it's a chore. You have to pack on the layers. You know, we, mm -hmm. I, I live in Ohio and it does get bitter, bitter cold here, but not so cold that I think that I would die if I didn't have enough, <laughs> if I didn't put no. on all six of my coats. <laughs> no. And, um, and, and she, and the only person that she, she knows there is Macy and her uncle Finn, who she's not seen in I'm going to say maybe 10 years. I mean, based on their ages, um, Grace says that she's 17 and Macy is a year younger at 16. And what age are you when you have like hot pink as your favorite color? <laughs> like I'm talking like eight, maybe, maybe six even. Yeah. She couldn't so even recognize her. No, that's, that's a decade of not knowing who you're now going to live with. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't do it. I, I, yeah, and my and, my anxiety would be so through the roof. And and Grace is very she is very anxious. Like that's mm -hmm. one thing that we know about her is she's anxious. She's a little bit more introverted. Um she has panic attacks which Amber and I both are very anxious individuals so we could really feel, you know, reading um reading Grace's character. Uh, even though we don't always agree with the choices that Grace makes throughout the story, <laughs> I feel like we can definitely connect to the feelings that she goes through. And one of the things that really stuck out through the second read is how Grace just makes that conscious choice not to tell Macy that she doesn't like pink. And I played, I played the Crave, um, the little Crave, like, read-through game on the Chapters app. It's really fun if you don't want to reread the first book and you just want the dialogue because it literally strips everything from the book other than the dialogue and you get the most important parts. Um, but if you don't want to pay for, like, gems you're you just make grace be like the meanest character ever and i remember <laughs> making the choice i i could either pay to tell macy that oh i you know 
thanks. I love the pink. Or <laughs> you could you could not pay for the gems and tell her, oh, thanks, but I don't really like pink anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> the free but, option was to be an asshole. Exactly. <laughs> <It's> like, amazing. <laughs> Which was always what I had to do because I wasn't going to invest money into the <laughs> into the thing because I just I wanted to see it out of curiosity. But with that being said, um, I've been that version of grace so many times where somebody's like, oh, you know, I, I, I remember this is your favorite thing or, oh, I, you know, I think I saw this and it reminded me of you and I thought that you'd love it. And in reality, I hate it. And I love how Grace just throughout the whole book is stuck with hot pink bed. <laughs> Everything. Hot pink coat. <laughs> I mean, I do want to touch on the on, on the fact that Macy, um, she always knows what Grace needs. Um, I, I don't think that there's ever a scene where Macy isn't giving Grace something. Uh, whether it's a scarf, whether it's um, cookies, whether it's a dance session, a she's she's such a generous character, um, and I really was expecting her to be like Jessica from from Twilight, where you, there's always some point where she's really just annoying and you want to be left alone. Um, but Macy is is such a genuine, like warming character throughout, um, even in like her darkest moments, um, like. To, towards the end of, of Crush, she's so vibrant and so genuine. And I'm so glad that there is finally a best friend who is like that in a book. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's not like my absolute worst nightmare of a roommate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that Macy's the best possible thing that could have happened to Grace in that time period. And I also mm -hmm. think that she... she she tells Grace what she needs to hear. She never like BSs Grace. She always says exactly what she needs to hear, even if it's not what Macy would choose for herself. There's all those points where Grace, you know, she she needs a hug, she gets the hug, but then she needs to pull away. And I, I think that that's a really special thing where you have a friend who knows exactly what you need for yourself. And I, I hope that everybody has a friend like that. Am Amber's my friend. Oh, uh, I know when I, I know that when you don't want to talk to me and I send loads of messages and you know, I'm like, well, she'll, she'll reply one day. It's fine. <laughs> we'll go through one of those, uh, <laughs> One of those depressive episodes where you just can't talk to anyone, but Amber knows that if I disappear for an extended amount of time, it's because I'm uh, I'm sulking somewhere, but I will return. <laughs> I also like the fact that um, even though Macy might not have any concept of what ang ang anxious feelings that Grace is going through, she she does tell her to chill out and stop, and Grace actually listens. I don't know how many times you've done it, but I've definitely done it where I forced myself through a panic attack to do something that the panic attack was being triggered by just so that I look like a normal person. But in fact, it actually makes you look the complete opposite. It makes you look insane. Right. Because, um, and I think one of the things that Grace had to kind of understand is that she wasn't, she wasn't invulnerable, that she didn't have to not grieve, that she could go through that process with Macy of being vulnerable. Um, 
and it was really nice to see that that despite the fact that Macy hadn't seen her in in over a decade or whatever we decided as the time frame that she wasn't so needy of a cousin that she's like no 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 you need to spend time with me we need to do this we need to catch up on everything that I've missed over the last 10 years um she was very much giving grace her own space despite the fact that they were living in the same room together which was nice to see it was it was a, it was a, an example of a very healthy best friend relationship which was really nice to read. It wasn't exhausting. Yeah. To sort of understand like, oh, just she's always there. She won't ever leave Grace alone. And when when you read a book, you always try and step into the shoes of the of the main character. And when you get annoyed with the other characters in the books, it's because you're looking at it through Grace's eyes. You, you're understanding like, oh, this person's really like, this person's really annoying me. This person's really giving some red flags and I feel uncomfortable. I never get that with Macy. I'm never suspicious of her at any point. Were, were you? No, not not at all. Um, no, and, not even a little bit. And and I was suspicious of a lot of other characters yeah. later that, that ended up not being bad either. There was nothing wrong with them, but just because they were so nice, I, I was they were suspicious. too nice. Exactly. And Macy <laughs> is Macy's definitely too nice, but she she's nice for she's nice in a different way. I mean, Leah was too nice, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in uh, probably episode <laughs> two, but yeah. there's, there's a lot of characters that are also just as nice, but you feel icky. They make you feel icky inside, and you can't quite tell why, but that's your intuition speaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that Grace has a lot of moments where her intuition talks, and she doesn't listen. She well, she acknowledges it. She's like, "Oh yeah, well, this made me feel this way, but it's probably nothing." No, you should <laughs> you should trust your first instincts, girl, because uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that she probably could have prevented if she would have listened to her her intuition. <laughs> um, so, pivoting to the end of our non spoilery discussion and then for all of you who are still early in the books you can scoot out so we don't ruin anything for you because I have some juicy things that I want to talk about that tie into Covet um, but let's talk about Jackson and that first encounter um, Amber what was your first impression of that initial chessboard just the dialogue the encounter the face touching how did it make you feel? So uncomfortable. <laughs> so, so uncomfortable. And uh, I, I wasn't sure whether it was deliberately trying to make me uncomfortable because it, it was quite a tense scene. I mean, there's there's a guy that you've never seen before and he is, he is completely fronting you. He is making you feel unwelcome. He is making you feel like you need to leave. He is telling you things. And it is the first swear word of the book. And it's very early. I mean, chapter three the first swear word and then you're like okay it's gonna be one of those books um it it was it was very uncomfortable and then reading back through through jackson's point of view at the end as well he was just as uncomfortable yeah doing it um which was it was nice to read that like it wasn't just him being an absolute knob it was <laughs> he was deliberately he was deliberately trying to put it on he was trying to mask 
his own sensibility to the fact that she was human and that she was vulnerable. He was trying to make sure she was safe and protected, which is all he has ever done, even though he hadn't experienced the mating bond with her or anything, which I want to talk about. Come on. Oh, yeah. Mating that- bonds. Seriously. He he didn't react at all, even through the, f- the, the first read and the second read, during Grace's portrayal of the scene. He, he just he, stands he there. Says, <laughs> and he says, you really confuse me. <laughs> I don't understand you. <laughs> like, okay, is that, that's, that's his reaction to the mating part. <laughs> um, yeah, so it makes me think that maybe he wasn't even really aware of what that was because he wasn't expecting it so early. Yeah. Or he wasn't expecting it at all. That He didn't feel like he was deserving of love because of what he had done. And what he had gone mm. through and and how yeah. how he was how he was raised um so i feel like everything i mean when you read it what you're supposed to feel and what the author is trying to give you obviously is you know oh he's so like grace fixates on his looks but she also says i'm not going to be the girl who you know, falls for damsel in distress. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to be that girl. I'm not going to be the, the protagonist in the YA novel, (laughs) but she totally does because she looks at him and then she, she, she lets him get very, very close. Um, which that's something that it's not a good thing. I, I know that that uh, that when we read it, it's like ooh, it's it's tense, it's exciting. He's intimidating. He's in my personal space. But just <laughs> just for the FYI, I'm sure that you guys all know this. But when a when a person, I'm not gonna say a man because that's not that's not appropriate. Could be anyone. Could, anyone. If somebody, a person that even if you find them attractive, if they perform the act of trapping you, which is where they physically use their body to block you into a space where you are not able to move in either direction. Um, That is not a good sign. And it's something I think that our older readers will know. Like if you go to a bar or a club, uh, I think that the, the drunk guys will tend to do that where like they'll they'll like try to get you next to the bar up against the back of the bar where they come over and talk to you and there's like a bar stool on each side of you so you can't comfortably get away but that that's a common thing that you see and it's something that makes you very uncomfortable when it actually happens to you when you read it it's a little bit different but this just isn't something that is normal right this this behavior that Jackson is displaying and it's I would say that for his age, I mean, he's he's obviously a lot older because he's a vampire, but assuming his, his brain is still a teenage boy, it makes total sense to me. It, it, is, it, is it right? No. But the behavior isn't weird to me because that isn't something that I think a lot of people, you know, I, I would say a lot of people aren't really aware of when they're doing it if they're not doing it intentionally and whether or not Jackson was intentionally trying to get her trapped back in that corner and scare the life out of her I mean it I understand he is trying to spook her um he's being predatory yeah it's it's a very weird interaction and then Grace it really shows her character where she 
she sees him and she just, even though he's, he's cursed at her, he's told her to get out, he's been just blatantly rude to her. He sought her out as well. Like, um, yeah. Like, obviously, she knew that she was the new girl and that everyone would know her as the new girl because there's only 400 students at this school. So mo- most people would have recognized that she was the new girl. But he he acted like she was a target. He made a beeline for her when she was alone. She'd just been left in that room um, by Macy to go and find her Uncle Finn. So she was on her own and he made a beeline for her knowing that she was vulnerable. And and he played on it. Yeah. He absolutely played on it. And it was her first interaction with anyone from the school other than Macy. Like she got mm-hmm. to Alaska and it was Macy and then Jackson. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that the whole... That whole moment where Grace looks at him and sees his scar, I I guess that's, I have mixed feelings here because I always try to tie in the psychology and I'm definitely a see the good in everyone type of person where I will see someone who does wrong and I will see someone who makes bad choices and it doesn't necessarily mean that I will, you know, if it's like a friend or someone that I'm I'm close to, it doesn't necessarily mean that I will say, oh, I need to, I need to look past these negative things, especially if the negative things are very, very bad. Sometimes it's important to know when to walk away from something that is toxic. But Grace really shows her character in that moment where she, he's been mean to her, he's cursed at her, he's made her feel unwelcome. And the first thing she does is she's like, oh, this must have hurt. And immediately grabs on to the one little sliver that hit Jackson right in the heart. Like there, it was just a very weird moment um, that made that entire scene strange. It definitely strange to read it the first time, but <laughs> reading it the second time, I think that it makes a lot more sense Um and obviously there's there's a lot of other things that happen behind the scenes that we'll get into in the second half of the, the podcast. But yeah, I, I think that the whole just lack of personal space and things, just little little public service announcement, don't touch someone's face. <laughs> <laughs> if they have a marring, like awful scar on their face, don't, don't, don't touch someone's face. Did you think that the scar was going to be an important... Um, point later on in the book at all. Um, you know, I actually wasn't sure. I, I, w- honestly, when I first read it, I thought that it was going to be one of those things where it just was. Oh, it makes him look so badass. He's, <laughs> this, this is yeah. the the physical identifier that he is the mean boy who has eyes for only you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sign that points down like the marquee, the blinking marquee that says, I'm the bad boy, but we're going to yeah. have a love interest. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we've spoken about the, the conversation, but there, there were a few things about the chessboard that I'm, I'm really intrigued by. And I'm like, okay, so firstly, I want to know whether the pieces that Grace picks up, whether they sim- like they symbolize anything. Because she she picks up uh, a vampire first, doesn't she? Yeah, it was a vampire, dragon, sleepy dragon, and then vampire queen. 
and I'm wondering whether the order kind of like a tarot card reading where she picks up a random item because she had the choices of what is this is it 64 is it 64 no there's 64 squares but there are 16 different pieces, pieces aren't there and and out of all of those she chose those four and, and I'm, just, I'm just wondering whether that's that's something that's going to come and, and bite us in the ass <laughs> later. We could just be reading the chicken bones here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, and there, there, are, there are a few things that like, because you're reading it through the second time, there are a few things like um, Uncle Philip. Like, who is he? Is he, he must be special. He, mu- he must have some kind of superpowers because Grace even notes that he, he picks up her suitcases like they were nothing. And that he was physically strong, and he is Macy's uncle, which I'm assuming is Uncle Finn's brother, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's I'm a little confused about that as well because that would mean that Grace's Grace's dad is Finn's brother, and Macy refers to Philip as Uncle Philip. It's it's very confusing. We're mm-hmm we're going to have to keep our eyes on Philip because yeah, I'm not he's sure. Got, he's, he has to come back, right? There's, like He's not been mentioned since. No. Um, and the other character that we need to, so we've had, we've had many theories throughout. It was that Macy's mother was that she can't have just walked away. Like you can I, I was half expecting her to be in the prison um in uh covet that I, I i genuinely thought they're going to find macy's mother there because what kind of mother who who acts like that and i think that there was a line it literally said like how could mother of the year just disappear she just walk That's out one true. day and didn't want to come back um so i, I think that macy's mum is is going to make a reappear reappearance at some point as well i'd love to hear everyone else's theories as well it's the characters that have like a single scene of a mention and then we never hear about them again either tracy is just putting them in there to sort of tell the story or they are not just throwaway characters that they they exist in the world somewhere else and they are they are having their own story playing out at the same time and we're going to discover what what has been happening and that's and I'm very curious to see um, if we're holding on to them for a reason because they stay in my head, like I mm-hmm. remember them, and especially rereading, I'm like, oh yeah, this guy, yeah. this guy, <laughs> this guy with the plane. But who knows? You know, it might just be. It might also be one of those cases where I mean, I've got like Uncle uncle bill you know dad's friend oh he's not really your uncle but we just call him uncle bill you know oh okay yeah you've got that like sort of family friend vibe exactly so it could be something like that because it's not like he's he wasn't was he did they say whether phil he has to live in alaska because macy says that her dad is gonna take beer a case of beer to philip and they're gonna watch the game together. So he has to live. Have close. a bro date. <laughs> yeah, the the little bro date. Um, so they have. He has to live in Alaska. It's it's very confusing. So I'm really I'm really hoping that we get a little bit more of him in the last book. Um, 
Do you want- I'd love to know if Tracy is just listening to this and going, oh, I forgot all about <laughs> <laughs> Crap, we need to make a spin-off about Philip. <laughs> um, he was no one. <laughs> and we're just biting onto like the smallest morsel of information. That's fun though. That's gotta be fun. I <laughs> I'm I'm also writing um a book series and Amber read it and she read the first one and it, feeling feeling a reader go through a maze that you've deliberately set and you've misled them. I, I love just I loved hearing what she thought was gonna happen and then it just being completely wrong. It's it's like <laughs> setting up your little maze for your mouse and the mouse goes down the wrong path and doesn't get the cheese it's it's very entertaining i also Um, i also gave you my my input at the at the end and i'm like um i i thought that it had been i'd read it in a completely different way to the way that you had meant it and then you're like oh i didn't even realize that that was an option and then you wrote it into the second one and i'm like yay but (laughs) i had input (laughs) we should have started this podcast earlier because then we could have influenced maybe how we wanted court to go or or we say (laughs) how we want it to go and then tracy writes it the other direction just to keep us guessing um well Well, so far like uh, crush and um cover I, I don't think Covet could have been better. Oh, it was beautiful. I, I, genu- I don't think that Covet could have been better. So I am expecting that. No pressure, Tracy. But I'm expecting very, very high things with Court. <laughs> um, I'm so excited for it because of the way that it was left in Covet. It was, it was such a good cliffhanger. Whereas at the end of Crave, I felt there was more of a cliffhanger, the penultimate chapter. And that was when I bought the second book. That was when I was like, okay, I'm invested. And then I read the final chapter and then I was like, oh no, why did I, why did I read the final chapters? Because now I just want to reread the first book again. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, how did I miss this? How did I miss all of these sort of nuances? Like, did you, when did you get the idea that Grace was not human? Um, I guess I kind of, you want, you want to go ahead and, uh, skip to get rid of our our non-spoiler audience and then i mean we can do yeah um i mean we've way we've, this is way past the first half <laughs> yeah okay so everybody so this is spoiler alert spoiler alert yeah if you have not read chapters uh past chapter three of crave you can go ahead and go otherwise we're gonna ruin the book for you and we don't want that and we will cover the the series episode by episode so you're not missing out just tune in next week all right assuming everybody is gone do 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 okay assuming everybody's gone i actually had uh the reveal of grace being a gargoyle kind of spoiled for me um so I kind of specifically knew. being a gargoyle. No, not specifically being a gargoyle. <laughs> Just that. So the bookish mm-hmm. bookish box is releasing their limited edition uh, set of the books with the new covers, and it was the cover reveal of Crush, where there's a silhouette of Hudson standing behind Grace, and Grace has these big, huge, like baddish wings, and I couldn't. I didn't think gargoyle. I thought dragon because demon. Yeah. Demon. (laughs) 
I, gargoyle was not where my mind went. And I, when when Amber read that, she's like, she's a gargoyle? What's she going to do? Stand there? <laughs> Statue of the death. <laughs> Which was what I thought, too. I thought that her super, like, oh, there's vampires and there's dragons and dragons can fly and breathe fire and vampires, they can levitate and Hudson can blow things up. And then there's gargoyles. They can turn into rock. So, I'm just, I was just, I'm wondering whether I can Google it, but what are gargoyles for? Yeah. Um, um, centuries. They, they, they are water spouts. They help rainwater <laughs> flow away from buildings walls. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, she could absolutely, maybe she can channel water. Yeah. And so, I mean, that would have made sense, but there were so many things that she could do as a gargoyle that did not come from what I was expecting her to be able to do. It was a lot cooler than what I thought it was going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I and I love the fact that Tracy went weird. That she, she didn't just go for one of the four. Or, or one of the ten possible things that it could be. Like, oh, you're a mermaid. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I wasn't disappointed. I was conflicted, confused, and intrigued. Like, I, I was like, wait, what's this going to be? It, it it wasn't any one of the tropes that was already, like, low-hanging fruit. Right. It was, it, was, it, it was an interesting choice, and I think that that probably made me want to read it more. Was because I was like, what is she possibly going to do with this? Because she'd already flipped dragons on their head as well like i wasn't expecting the way that dragons were going to be in this world to be like that either Ooh, here's, they were human here's a good one that ties in and i don't think i've asked you this outside of um the the book here's a curveball question um or outside of the podcast i mean what did you feel about flint and the clues that Tracy wrote in where he, for example, he was wearing a dragon hat in one in one scene. Um, did you suspect that he that he was a dragon? Because I did not. I, I mean, I started to kind of believe it, but <laughs> it took me a while. I, I guessed it. I, I guessed that he was a dragon straight away. But at the same time, I was second guessing myself because he was still humanoid. I was thinking, like, how is she going to write in a dragon? Maybe dragons aren't dragons as we know them. Um, but then it turns out it's like their alter ego, isn't it? Um, but I thought out of everyone in Cadmere, he was the only one that was actively almost trying to get her to guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now we know what Flint was trying to, and absolutely no hate towards Flint whatsoever. He is one of the best characters ever. It was the fact that within this book, he was a bit of a knob. Oh, um, yeah. I am now not sure whether the reason why he was trying to get her to guess and understand that it was a magical world was to physically put her in more harm and put her in the way of danger more so he didn't have to be the one to hurt her. I don't think he wanted to hurt her. I think you're right. I think that because there was... A point where he advises her, he's like, don't go out on your own. Like, you need to not go out on your own. You need to... He warns her several times. And I think that he knows what he has to do. He knows what has to be done. Um, 
but he's fighting against himself every step of the way. Right, because I don't think he wants to do it. He's he's such a great character. He's one of I mean, honestly, he's probably my second favorite character in the whole book. Everybody knows who my favorite is, but <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Uncle Phil, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love Uncle <laughs> Phil. <laughs> um a couple other little things that I wanted to touch on is I noticed in my reread where Jackson was standing in the window where Grace first arrives to Catmere Academy and she looks up, but she says that she feels a pang of disappointment when she sees the figure disappear. And we all know mm-hmm. that that was Jackson. And if you didn't know, then it's in the bonus chapters um, where it talks about him looking at her. But I wonder if she feels that pang of disappointment because I wouldn't feel disappointed if I saw a creepy shadow still looking up, you know, up above watching me. Um, I'm wondering if that pang of disappointment is that mating bond starting to form where they are just destined to be drawn together for that, like, really cataclysmic moment. Because, I mean... Obviously, if you've if you've read all the books, you know that that the blood letter and Grace's parents organized their their whole thing. I mean, they did have the ability to choose, but there was also a little bit of magic taking place. And I wonder if that pang of disappointment that she felt was the first little clues of the mating bond or if it was just Grace like, oh, I'm there might be a friend. Oh, no, friend gone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I kind of have imagined the the mating bond to be kind of like a magnet. Yeah. That, like, um, you are drawn to each other. Because I, I don't think that the mating bond would have worked if they weren't suited to each other anyway. Um, and I think that if Hudson had not come along, they would have been perfectly happy together. I mean, it would have been a really toxic relationship, but it's not like they hated each other. It was not like they weren't suited for each other. And Grace wouldn't have gone through the growth that Hudson would have pushed her to. So it, it would, yeah, I, I feel like maybe it was like that, that magnet's first, you know, when you put a magnet, they're quite, they're quite far away from each other. But the moment that they've reached that distance where they then start to pull together, they quiver I feel like that might be that moment. Yeah. But then it wasn't like she was immediately attracted to him in the the magnet sense, not the physically attracted way um, when they met at the chessboard. But the cataclysmic um, event of them like sharing that mating bond was not something that Grace obviously had no concept of it. She she didn't immediately know. Oh wait, there's there's something that has now tied us together forever. But she did Sarah. keep thinking of him that night. Like yeah, he was he was on her mind nonstop after it happened. And you know, well, when, it would be for me because he was terrifying, right? <laughs> but like, she she was thinking of him like he's so scary. I hate him, but he's so sexy. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm just wondering, like, is that something that maybe that that was the first inklings of the the false meeting bond? Is that they would they were just seeing each other for the physical attractiveness? They they weren't sharing the 
the thing that Hudson and Grace do is that they pull on the mating string and they can sort of ebb and flow between each other. They know each other so intimately that they can feel the other one wanting their attention or passing along signals of warmth and comfort along the mating bond. But Jackson and Grace never do that, even when she is aware of the mating bonds there. Yeah. Like after the after the laundry room, she then can she knows where the strings are. Yeah, and, and she never reaches out for it. Not that I remember, anyway. No, and I mean she sends him like energy, but it's not you know Jackson and Grace's relationship. To me, it's like codependent. <laughs> yeah, it, it's almost like looking into like a murky puddle where I mean. Yeah, there's a little bit swirling around in there, but it's it doesn't it's not very deep. There's not a whole lot of substance to it. Whereas with Hudson, there's so much more underneath the surface that you get those little clues and and just small little things, small moments where Hudson really shows that he cares about her in a way that is very, very different. And I mean, we're kind of, I'm, I'm treading into crush territory here, which we'll discuss more once we get to the, those books um, later on. But there are just so many moments where Jackson, he's not empathetic. And for example, when Grace has Hudson in her head and she's very bitter about it and she's so frustrated and she's literally, I mean, for those who have anxiety, you know what it's like to go through a panic attack and need silence. You need quiet. You need a, a dark room with no sound. Breathing space. Exactly. And feeling like you have someone who is just snarking nonstop in your head, sifting through every single thought that you have and you can't even think without someone seeing it. And then and then Jackson being like, well, you just, you talk to Hudson more than you talk to me. That is such, such a, a terrible thing to say to someone who is going through something so traumatic. He's like, yeah, you're clearly distracted. Uh, I can see that you're, you're enjoying talking to Hudson more than you are me. And I'm like, yeah, but this guy is literally in my head. I can't escape him. I can't walk away from a conversation. I can't get a word in edgeways. And even if I'm trying to listen to you, I have to concentrate so hard on what you're saying to drown out what Hudson is saying that it doesn't make the conversation enjoyable anymore. It's not, it's not as free and it's not as, as easy as it was in the previous book because there is another person here. There is another person trying to, it, and, and it was absolute subterfuge as well. He was not only stopping them enjoying a conversation with each other, but he was also stopping them having their intimate moments and their privacy. Yeah. Um, what did you What did you think once once he had started? Did you, did you immediately know that it was because he loved her and he was like that, or he was uncomfortable with seeing his brother <laughs> kissing another girl? Um, Be it, like, ew, you guys are gross. <laughs> It took me a while, actually. It, it took me probably longer than it took you um, because you knew that I was already swooning for Hudson when you started <laughs> reading the series. So you knew that there was something up. But I was very untrusting of Hudson for quite a while, actually. And I went through that that mental conundrum of 
oh, you know, what is the right thing to do? Should they just let him out with all of his power? He says that we can trust him, but I don't know. Like, I actually wasn't sure up until the moment when Grace was like, you know what, I I need to just let him out. Like, I, I'm going to have to just let him out uh, with, with his power, which was ultimately the thing that saved her at the end of crush because if she hadn't have done that she wouldn't have even won the Luderes tournament to begin with. Oh, she would have got smooshed. She she did get smooshed. <laughs> <laughs> I I also think that there was there was something about the fact that Hudson reacted so righteously and angrily whenever anybody accused him of being evil. Um it it was never a convincing moment. So, like, you convince someone that you're you're innocent, you're probably guilty. But if you keep, um, be like, if you react to the fact that somebody is saying that you're not innocent, it it kind of it brings that home that maybe maybe there's something that you need to listen to about what he's saying. Um, that people can spread lies, and also there are there are three sides to every story. There's your side, my side, and then there's the truth. And no one was seeking the truth. They were only ever looking at how they had experienced Hudson. That's true. That's and that what true. they had understood and what they had been told about Hudson. Um, no one, no one had thought, oh, actually, he had probably got the worst childhood that anybody had ever had. Um, because as much as Jackson said that he hated his mother, his father is quite obviously the worst out of the pair. And Hudson was the one that had to live with him. And everybody just assumed that living with him would have would have turned him, would have would have made him become a monster, would have made him evil. Instead of maybe living with him had been the worst torture of anyone's life, and that sometimes the things that he's done are probably justified. Right. And you know, uh I'm not saying that we're going to find out some big like revelation in the next book because I I really hope not. Um, But I feel like there's a little bit more to Jackson just so he passionately, passionately did not want Hudson to come back. Mm -hmm. There was a burning passion there. Um, It was, it was like a to hell with that. No, no way under no circumstances. And I'm also I'm not I'm not even sure whether half of that was because well he's been he's been privy to my girlfriend's intimate thoughts like maybe there is a way that he could manipulate the situation even more is that when he is out and he has his powers he probably will have grace on his side yeah because he has the that power to influence convince yeah yeah and that he'd already done whatever he had done to grace. Because he did, he did believe that Hudson was sort of pulling Grace's strings throughout. Um, and he probably thought the moment that Grace set him free, or that they set him that Hudson free, that he wouldn't just have to fight his brother, that he would have had to have fought through his girlfriend to get to him. I was, I was really grateful for the scene, the bonus chapter, um, at the end of Covet, where we got that moment with the wooden horse um yes 
and yes. and and you know them kind of being able to bond like brothers and go on their on their run. I think that that was that it signifies the end of their battle with each other. And I think that the mm-hmm. next book is going to be focused on them being brothers. brothers. Exactly. Again, yeah. Yeah. And I think that as a brother as well, all Jackson ever says about Hudson is that he's evil. He's manipulative. He's, um, he's deceptive. He lies. He cheats his way through everything. Whereas Hudson, the only descriptive words that he uses towards Jackson are that of describing a teenager of childish um wanker <laughs> like they were never they were never judgments of his character they were only judgments of his behavior that's true um, at, he was a big brother looking at his little bro- at his little brother just saying you're acting very childish you you're uh, yeah he, the, the way that he described him was never in an evil way it was never a demeaning way it was only ever a big brother looking at a little brother the way that Jackson describes Hudson was as if he was like spawn of Satan. Like he deserved um, to die. Exactly. And I think that that's probably what tipped me off about Hudson telling the truth was that if he was evil trying to convince Grace that he wasn't, he probably would have convinced her that Jackson was not good for her in the most deceptive and demeaning way. Not he is a child. He would, he, he, everything that he did was very eye rolling, very like taking the piss, um, joking around. Like he got you meat, like things like that. Like it was always like a, a judging of him being a boyfriend, not judging his character or his personality. Yeah. And, and I think that, I think that it's, it's one of those things where Hudson, still cared for Jackson even though I mean his brother literally killed him and mm-hmm. I would like to know I would like to know more about like exactly what happened and I hope that we learn that I, I want to know exactly how that unfolded how you did, want the juicy deets <laughs> I want the juicy deets I want the moment by moment of Jackson killing Hudson because I want to know um, so we have a couple really cool things going on on my Instagram, which most of you are probably watching this after following me on Instagram. Uh, I have the Crave series aesthetic page. It's aesthetic, not aesthetics. But all of the polls and fan questions and things that you guys want us to talk about, I will be getting those comments through the Crave series aesthetic page. So if you're not following that, make sure that you do that um, and check my stories each week for different things that we're going to be talking about during the podcast, when the episode is going to air, and I will usually do... Um, you know, questions and polls. But I asked a couple different questions today that I want to go over. One of them was, what are your guys' favorite scenes in Crave? That was our question to you this week. So, Amber, I'm going to read through some of these, and you let me know how their favorite scenes affected you, and if you like these scenes or if you thought that these were crap scenes, because there's plenty of scenes in Crave that I didn't like. (laughs) okay not not because they weren't written well it's more that i was just like uh jackson being a jerk 
<laughs> All right. Um, okay, so this is a good one. Quite a few people have said jokes between Grace and Jackson. Okay. So I mean, the dad jokes were at my right up my alley. If I'm honest, I'm I'm very much a pun lover. Um, so they they were really funny, despite them being super cringy. Um, but in my opinion, I feel like it was the one thing that Jackson could kind of grab onto as something that he could share with with Grace. It wasn't. It was. It was. It was something that he was like, "Oh, Grace enjoys these, so therefore I'm going to bombard her with them, rather than it actually being part of their relationship." Um, so Hudson actually makes her belly laugh as is his jokes, whereas whereas Jackson is is he just sends her really awkward jokes and. He tries to like do a, um, he he tries to do what she does. Like he tries to just mirror what she's doing, whereas Hudson yeah. is a little bit more inventive. Yeah, and it, it like it it was really sweet and like listening to them, it was really cute. But then the moment that Hudson comes along and his actual humor is making me snort laugh through the book because I really did. I belly laughed. I snort laughed. I I giggled throughout uh, the next book, like crush had me in the feels at every page um <laughs> whereas crave there, there were the awkward sort of jokes but if you notice hudson and grace never even really bother with the stupid jokes because they already have enough humor that's true it's something that she, it's something that she has with jackson and it fades it fades to nothing but they can and keep, there they can a, keep that too that's a cool thing about it is that as friends they can keep that if they want yeah to, it's quite innocent yeah yeah. All right. So um, Julie said the scene where Jackson sends her a copy of Twilight. I, <laughs> I'll i let you take that one. <laughs> oh, God. That self-awareness. Uh, Tracy just knew. She knew that she came into this industry right at the right time. The books came out 2020. First book came out 2020, 2019, 2020. And that that beautiful self awareness, where they, she knew that the that the reader probably picked up the book because it looked a little bit like a Twilight book. <laughs> I, it was beautiful. I I I cringed and I laughed. So I, I cringed <laughs> in the best possible way, where he literally used Edward as a warning. I uh, I just beautiful Chef's kiss. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see um every grace and macy scene so i think we touched on that enough at the beginning we mm -hmm. team macy yeah. yeah she's the best best friend that anybody could ever want or need absolutely um most people said dancing in the northern lights how did you feel about that scene um I think that it was all style, no substance. <laughs> that sounds mean. That sounds really mean. Um, but it is the kind of thing that a teenage boy would try and do as a romantic gesture. It, that he would be like, oh, I, I know what she'll love. But it, it wasn't because Grace would love it. It was because any girl would love it. 
I mean, if she that makes sense. She did make it a point to say that, like, she loved the Northern Lights. Her dad painted the Northern Lights on her wall. Mm-hmm. Like, she was trying to find them when Mark and Quinn tossed her out in the snow. Like, I get that. But if I had a choice between going and dancing in the Northern Lights with Jackson versus dancing in the dirty <laughs> laundry room with Hudson to cell phone music, I'd still, not even just because of the guy, but just because of how it was executed, I would still pick the scene with Hudson. And the music made the scene a lot more real. And I think the poll sort of mirrored your opinion as well, because you did the poll asking everybody which they would prefer. Yes, I did. And, and the majority said the laundry room. Yeah, it's like you could literally float into the air and dance in the northern lights. Or would you rather dance in the laundry room with Hudson? And most of you said dance in the laundry room with Hudson. I, I think that if if she decided that she wanted to do the dancing in the laundry room again, it would never, ever hit the same tone again. It was a once in a lifetime event. Whereas I feel like if she tried to recreate the dancing underneath the Northern Lights with Jackson, they could do it any night that they wanted. And it would have, it wouldn't have had the same impact because right. you can do it at any point. I know that the Northern Lights is literally, you're only able to see it at certain days and certain places. But ignoring that, can you imagine trying to start the scene to be just as funny the next day in the laundry room? It would just be super awkward. It's kind of the, one of those jokes where you're like, oh, you, you just had to be there. It was funny, okay? It just If I try and like recreate it now, say, this sounds silly, me saying that I loved being in the laundry room dancing. Oh, just, oh, oh just, never mind. It's okay. <laughs> and there's plenty of other books that do that. Bella trying to return to the meadow um, after her and Edward's like first time there and it not meaning as much. To, granted, Laurent was there and tried to kill her. But, you know, she tried to <laughs> yeah. re, she tried to re like create those feelings and she couldn't. And uh, even... Um, even the the first elevator scene with Anastasia and Christian Grey, like they have that really spicy moment in the elevator. But then every time they get into an elevator together later in the books, they just like look at each other like, <laughs> like they start laughing yeah. about it because they yeah, know. Yeah, it makes it awkward. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Whereas uh, Hudson could make a date anywhere. He right. Could, he could make anywhere feel just as romantic as dancing underneath the northern lights the fact that he can make a laundry room or even a prison yeah feel safe and warm and as much in love as you can possibly be then he's the winner absolutely and he's the one that's they're doing everyday thing i mean obviously not the prison and the giants (laughs) everyday things they're doing everyday things together they're, they're, because he was in her head for so long. They're doing everyday things, which is what I do with my husband. He can make the, the mundane feel fantastical. Whereas Jackson is trying to make the fantastical part of her mundane life. Yeah. J- Hudson can grill me a grilled cheese any day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, wonder, I wonder what he put in it. Was it just a grilled cheese? Grilled cheese is a, such a weird concept for me as a Brit as well. Tracy, we need answers. <laughs> what kind of cheese? <laughs> um, okay, so one person said the ending scene for sure, you didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and I'm assuming that she's referring to Hudson. When she was set in the, stone? Yeah, with the sword coming down. Mm-hmm. 
how did you feel reading that? Because it was a shocker for me. Um, I knew immediately that Hudson. I like. I don't. I don't know why I knew it. I think that it was just the trope of whenever you haven't seen a, a body, <laughs> they're probably alive. Um, I. I knew that Hudson would make an appearance at some point. I just didn't know when. And I also didn't know that it would be that sudden and that in the moment of her feeling like her life was kind of back to normal, like just walking through a corridor of a, of a school. And then he just immediately is there with a sword. The sword never recurs again. No, he's never seen with a sword. Like I was like, Oh, maybe he, maybe he's a sword fighter. But no, the sword the sword never appears again. He should have had an um, axe so because he he likes he's axe. He's axes, yeah. Um <laughs> But when when she was in stone and they said that like obviously Hudson was missing as well, I was like, I bet she uh, is stuck in the stone because they said that she had to come back through choice. And I was like, maybe she doesn't want to come back because she's already in love with Hudson. And then I was like, I've already betrayed everything that Jackson stands for. <laughs> but I'm so for it. Because <laughs> I'm already in love with Hudson and I've already had like three lines of what he's been like in the book. Um, but I think that that dark, mysterious stranger that you know nothing about is very romantic in a lot of people's minds. Us. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I wasn't anxious about her being stuck in the statue. I was like, oh no, I'm fine. If the whole of the next book is them just being stuck in the statue, I'm for it. I am there. Um, but obviously it wasn't, and we're going to have to wait until, um, what it charm. Yeah. Before we find out what actually happened. But yeah, the, the cliffhanger for me was, um, the bit where Hudson swings the sword. That was the cliffhanger. That was when I bought the book. Then the scene afterwards where they're looking at Grace and she's set in stone and they talk about her being a gargoyle. That was the bit that I was like, I feel like that should have been the beginning of Crush. Yeah, it gave you too much. It was. Yeah, I was like, oh, that, that like cliffhanger was then sort of almost betrayed by the following chapter. Um, because I was like, oh, okay, she's a gargoyle. She's set in stone. Okay, cool. Like, not like, oh my goodness, Hudson's swinging a sword. What's going to happen? Like, that's that, like, anxious. But then set in stone and she has to choose to come back and she's apparently with Hudson. I was like, oh, now she's safe. She's happy. We don't need another book. <laughs> but we I, did. That, that's that's tied all the loose ends together for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had somebody say that the snowball fight was their favorite. And you know what? I actually didn't like that scene very much. Only because when I was reading it the first time, I was very confused. I was, it was all very, and it made sense after, afterwards, but I was having trouble visualizing it. I, the tree I, scene. The tree scene, yeah. And I, yeah. I liked Flint. It was just, there were a lot of confusing things going on all at once. And I feel like, I don't, I don't know what it did to me. I, it, it confused me so much that I had no idea what I was supposed to feel. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was very confused. The only thing that I, I felt was that it was supposed to be a fun. It's like snowball fights are like that magical thing that you do as a child or as an adult, I suppose. And like, no, no, uh, 
preconceived ideas about who's going to be in a snowball fight. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's supposed to be that fun, magical thing that you do as a child. It reminds you of the holidays. It reminds you of like joy and happiness and like just that winter wonderland kind of feel. And it's kind of like, you know, like water fights where you, despite the fact that you are cold, you are freezing, you've been hit by a snowball and it hurts. You can't stop giggling. And I, I didn't get any of that from that fight. No, it was very vicious. It was a very yeah. vicious snowball fight. Yeah. And the fact that all of these supernatural beings knew that they had superpowers and invited a human, or what they thought was a human, they invited this this feeble human to their snowball fight. Looking back now, it feels even more, um, what's the word? Um insensitive it like like stupid really not sensible um like reckless because they have no idea how much they can hurt her what are they going to do pull punches with snowballs for her like i don't like yeah reading back through it i'm like wow like they really could have put her in a really bad place of peril i mean the one person that did was obviously flint but he was trying to she yeah she could have been really hurt Without the fear of being frozen alive, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a it was a fun scene, but I feel like there was such a note of peril and danger throughout, which was obviously put there on purpose because she was in danger. Someone who was trying to kill her. I, I don't think that it hit it hit me as my one of my favorite scenes. No, I and in I fact, was in fact I forgot that there was a snowball fight. I I knew. I knew something was going to happen. Like I, it was one of those things where like, I wasn't, I didn't get like the fun, magical snowball fight vibes. I was very anxious. I'm like, okay, any minute someone's going to jump out. Someone's going to kidnap her. Someone's going to, someone's going to try to murder. Her. I, I, <laughs> I definitely had bad feels the whole time. Um, like the tunnel scene as well. The tunnel scenes. Yeah. Vibes the entire time. Exactly. Um, okay. So we've got three more, three more mm -hmm. quick points. Uh, Jackson biting the strawberry. I know <laughs> I know your feelings about this scene, so I'll let you go first. That was such a teenage bravado cringy <laughs> moment for me. Just like he was and, and we do find out that he was trying to show off later on, didn't he? He vomited um, it back up, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He it backfired on him a little bit. <laughs> But yeah, I can just imagine a teenage boy trying to do the exact same thing. Obviously not with strawberries because that's not, <laughs> that's not very, um, like, masticate, what's the word? It's not very much, like, macho. It's very just, yeah, it was cringy for me. And I, I felt like if I was Grace, I would have just been like, what, what is he trying to do? How is like, He's, he needs is this a supposed bib. to be intimidating? Is, is this supposed to be intimidating? <laughs> yeah, <ate> a strawberry. <laughs> um, I, I loved that scene. It was probably my, <laughs> it was. I, I'm so ashamed. No, that was probably my favorite scene of the book. But so it, when I picture it, because I'm I'm picturing him coming in, sitting down in that winged back like elegant chair, and he's wearing. A freaking like full like full on black Gucci sweater, which for those who don't know, that's like 
a $2,000 sweater if you're like on the cheap end, Gucci's flipping expensive. So I, yeah. I, that's like where I was like, ooh, like I had the, the, like when you, when Christian Gray is talking about all of his cars, I was just like, ooh, money. <laughs> so the, the teenager in me, um, like that scene, but I know that if I actually saw it happening and if they decide to do a movie, this could go so bad. Um, I feel like this is one of those scenes that it has to be done just right if they decide yeah. to do a film adaptation. Otherwise, it's going to come off like, oh, he, he takes a bite of something and like I can just like picture like the red juice like dripping down his chin. And if they did it right, they would do like a zoom in almost like those um, those scenes with like the pupils dilating and everything's really close up and tense. But if they did it yeah. like an across the room shot and just like food starts dripping down his face, <laughs> Grace, that's like Grace offering to uh, clean him up after. Oh, that's one of the worst scenes of my life. Yeah. I never felt so embarrassed on somebody else's behalf. <laughs> she's busting out the first aid kit. Maybe she, it's, oh. it's the same thing, but she busts out like her wet nap kit and she goes and like dabs his face. Like, here, you got some shit. <laughs> you got something on your face here. Let me wash you off. Um <laughs> So uncomfortable. <laughs> we'll uh we'll talk more about the first aid kit in a later episode when that comes to be because that's my least favorite part of uh of Crave is just her being so naive where she's like, Oh, <laughs> a vampire is hurt. Let me get my first aid kit. <laughs> uh, um Okay, so one person said that the library scene with Flint, um very marshmallows. Yeah, very confusing for me. I I I thought that Flint was going to be the the love triangle. I was very convinced that Flint was going to be our love triangle and Flint is obviously gay if you've read the second book. Um so I don't was he trying to uh cuz he hid the book with the I can't remember what the language was, but he hid the book cuz he was working with Leah and he was doing his research to help Leah to kill Grace, but then Grace comes in so he hides the book. I love that she recognized the language as well. He, yeah. he would have been, oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> right. <What is> she? <laughs> it's like knowing, oh, what, is she, what does she know now? What, is she, what can she guess from the fact that I'm reading some ancient manuscript about killing someone? Right. So maybe, the, <laughs> maybe him flirting was him trying to distract her and give her something else to think about. Like she would focus on that and when she thinks of him like oh she's gonna want to know like was he flirting and that's the, the the moment from that encounter that she would transfix on rather than the thing that he didn't want her to know like the flirting might have been a diversion yeah because he's really Maybe smart he trying to like lower her inhibitions a bit and make her feel a bit closer to him it's like well if he's willing to flirt with me and also be willing to wait because he did say, like, look, if I was coming on to you, you would know about it. Right. Maybe he's like, oh, well, I'm flirting with you, but I'm I'm sort of passing up on the fact that Jackson's still your boyfriend, so I'm not going to overstep any boundaries, but I'm here should you want that boundary to be overstepped. Yeah, and, you know, that's when we look back after Crush... I wonder how uncomfortable that was for Flint, where he's not only trying to kill her because he doesn't want Hudson to come back, and he's trying to... I said he was trying to help Leah. I meant that he was trying to work against Leah. Um, 
and learn the language so that he could stop her from bringing uh, Hudson back. But I wonder... Hmm, now, now my brain is working a little bit harder <laughs> than... Maybe we'll save this for, for the crush episode. When we reread. When we reread. Yes. As well. Yeah. All right. Um, and then the last scene that we've had a recommendation to talk about and someone else's favorite scene. They said, when Jackson whirls Grace around and sinks his fang below her jaw into her neck. I love the description that this person put into it. They, <laughs> she said, when Jackson whirls Grace around her back to his front and sinks his fangs below her jaw into her <laughs> neck. Ooh. Which time? He, yeah, <laughs> really. Um, which Which time? Was <laughs> I was reading that whole thing, like where she's talking about the pleasure surging through her. I'm like, is this is this the big O? Is that what we're reading right now? Is this the vampire equiv- equivalent of the of the big O? Because I feel like it was. <laughs> well, yeah, like I mean, it was pretty much described the same way. That's how I. That's how I read it. Yeah, and I think that's probably why they didn't get around to actually sleeping with each other because she was all take, take, take. <laughs> Forget about Jackson. He's yeah, she's like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm very satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> that's why Jackson's so angry. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh God. All right. Well, that's all the. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of answers, but most of them were the were the Northern Lights scenes. I think we had. Um, we had how many people responded? Thirty something people responded, and most said the Northern Lights. But uh, I also did one more poll, and just out of morbid curiosity, I wanted to know how many of you are on Team Jackson and how many are on Team Hudson. So, Amber, do you have any predictions for what they said? For who? How? I'm going to say majority Hudson, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm going to say eighty, eighty, twenty. Um. No, actually, Jackson was twenty five percent, and Hudson was seventy five percent. Let me um. Of course, I closed the poll out. <laughs> Let me pop <laughs> it open, and I will tell you exactly how many. So, uh, thirty seven votes for Jackson, and a hundred and twelve votes for Team Hudson. So, if you guys wow, if you guys uh, don't agree, or you have a reason, I would like to hear someone's like full argument. As to why Jackson is the superior in your eyes. So maybe uh, drop me an email at uh, cravethebookpodcast at gmail.com. And if you've got a really good argument, and I mean, it's got to be convincing. Like Amber and I are big into psychology. We are, we're pretty good at reading characters, I want you to send me an argument that is very convincing that will have me questioning my choice of Team Hudson all the way. And if you give me a really compelling argument, we might present it on the podcast uh, later in the series. And maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll change our minds. But I doubt it because Hudson is daddy. (laughs) So I so is your favorite scene the strawberry scene? Um. I think that in terms of the scenes that made my heart race, like in a in a teen romance way, that was definitely it. I love I love character threats, and that's <laughs> say hello to my toxic personality. Oh dear! Um, my just like my favorite scene in Crush was when Hudson says, 
you're going to push me too far one of these days. You know that, right? And I was just like, oh, yeah, push him too far, Grace. Push him too far. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that the, the whole obvious threat, the clear threat, that was probably my favorite little little moment in the book. I think that I think that that was the one that I enjoyed the most, even though it was very brief. Yeah. So. All right, guys, thank you for watching the very first episode. If you haven't already, make sure that you follow us on Instagram at Crave Series Aesthetic. Uh, if you're using any of the the Crave hashtags, like hashtag Catmere Academy, hashtag Crave Aesthetics, hashtag Crave Book, yada, yada, uh, you will inevitably find my page because there are so many posts. And make sure that you check out my Reels section as well because I've been making a lot of really great music videos for each of the characters. And if you have any ideas for characters that I should do next or scenes, feel free to let me know as well. I just finished up the... Uh, point of view you're visiting dragon court video and it's it's so cute um i i love doing these little video reels for the characters uh other than that guys we should be back next week with uh chapters four through something i don't really know where we're gonna stop for the next ones amber do you have any uh a particular scene in mind or you want to stop um i really want to get to her first class um, so she obviously is suffering from altitude sickness for quite, quite right. some time. Um, and I think that it would be good to sort of explain what our interpretation of those scenes were when she was kind of laid up in bed and not actually able to do anything. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to do that sort of transition period. So meeting Flint as well getting to her room, her interactions with Macy, uh, her experiences with altitude sickness, and then classes. And, and I'm hoping. First interactions with Leah as well, because those are right yes. around the corner. So next yes. episode is going to be full of lots of things. Make sure that you catch up if you haven't read that far already. Hopefully we haven't spoiled too much for you if you haven't read, but we definitely have because we've covered a lot. Uh But guys, (laughs) thanks for watching. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you're new here, which hopefully all of you are because this is our first episode. We're going to be doing these hopefully once a week and uh, covering up until Covet. And then we'll do some more for Court and and Charm and maybe even Remy's spinoff series, which I just found out about yesterday. I love Remy. I'm so excited (laughs) for those. So guys, thanks so much for watching. I'm Starla, and this is Amber, and I don't know how to close a podcast. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye.